There's an old saying about how you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Today we talk with an industry veteran who's been there, seen it, and is still at the forefront of innovation with unified data and better decision support. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exhilarating episode of the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. I have a fantastic guest today. He's been around, he's been everywhere, he's legendary. We're going to get to him in just a second. But first, I got to remind everybody, please leave us a review. Leave good reviews, leave bad reviews. You know, we, we take them all. Bad reviews are okay. If you don't like what we're doing, then tell us. Make sure you tell us in the review what we need to do differently because that is how we learn and get better. But reviews are how we find out whether you like it or not. So please do that on your podcast platform. Also, I want a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cognite. I will say a little bit more about them at the end, but uh, we appreciate we appreciate them being there with the financial support. Also, today I do have, I think I mentioned my book. This is one of my newer books here. It's called, so this is not Voices from the Oil Fields. I'll get to that on another episode. But today I have the book called Groundbreakers, which is the subtitle is The Story of Oilfield Technology and the People Who Made It Happen. Written by a couple of really interesting guys. I think I said something about them before, so I won't do it again. But you can find this. I think you can find this book on Amazon, and it's been around for a few years. And I'm gonna just—I have a little snippet here I want to share with you all. That's actually from the foreword, and which is kind of funny because I'm not somebody who really reads the foreword of books. But I found this good little couple sentences here that I think will tie in nicely to what we are going to talk about today. So it goes like this. And this also ties to this theme that I've been on lately, this drum I've been beating about how the oil and gas business has been doing technology for a really long time. And we didn't just show up to this whole late to this digital party, but we've actually been in a tech business really from the earliest days, which is what it says right here. It would, it would be a mistake, however, to think that technology innovation is a recent phenomenon from the earliest days Finding and producing oil and gas was fraught with obstacles and dangers, and the pioneers were as challenged to innovate as we are today. They came from all walks of life, from academia, from their machine shops, and sometimes from a life that had previously nothing to do with oil and gas. By ingenuity, perseverance, and luck, these larger-than-life characters transformed wild and improbable ideas into viable businesses, many of which still bear their names. As the industry grew, research and development slowly became institutionalized with billions now spent every year, but every exciting idea still has to start from someone's inventive mind. So there you go. That's from the forward of Groundbreakers. And it kind of leads into what we want to start off with today. And my guest on the show is Mr. Jorge McNeish. And Jorge, thanks for thanks for making time and being here. Thank you very much. Looking forward to a great conversation. It's going to be a great conversation. And and I also have to remind everybody or or let everybody know that this is one of those times when we're not we can't be in the same room together today. So we're gonna 
we're doing the online thing and we're going to try to have like a nice natural conversation, free flowing, but we can't, we can't see each other. So if I say something that Jorge thinks is ridiculous, I, I won't really know by his face, but I wanted to lead off with, so you've been, Jorge, you've been, you know, I read a little bit from the book here that many of these companies still own the, the or still bear the names of their founders. And you've actually been with a bunch of those companies. So right now you're with a company called Datagration, but, but I, I knew you from back in your days with Sigma Cubed, but you've, you've been with Paradigm, Ion, right? Schlumberger, Halliburton, like all the usual suspects. So you've been around the technology, the oil and gas technology business for quite a while. Did I leave any out? Is that, that pretty oh, much? Absolutely. In fact, I can add to that. I mean, in fact, I'm okay. born in an oil field in the southern part of Argentina from a geophysicist father and, and a nurse mom. And I grew up in the industry. In fact, it's been a tremendous industry for me. I've seen this evolve over, over the years where multicultural lived in, in three different continents and, and really excited about the industry. It's been a great industry for me through its up and downs and, and really exciting about uh, how to, in, to introduce new concepts and new technologies in a practical manner. So I've always been the one that sort of figured it out how to bring these innovations to market in a way that becomes practical and adopted by, by our customers. That is the, yeah, I mean, that is almost the, it's really the, the definition of technology. I think if you look it up, what it actually says is something about the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. And I think sometimes, sometimes in the pursuit of cool technical stuff, we forget about the practical purposes bit. But yeah, you're very right. That is key, especially now. A lot of companies can't really afford to be dabbling with a lot of, you know, experimental stuff, I don't think. Absolutely. And, you know, in my observations in the last, you know, throughout my life, in my career is that, you know, really this industry is an industry of doers, are folks that really rise to the challenge. And various different aspects along the way over the last 20, 25 years, 30 years, we've been able to develop, uh, you know, deep water you know, reservoirs offshore in very complex environments. We've been able to do this in the Arctic and find reserves and produce reserves in the Arctic in highly sensitive areas. And most recently in the last 10, 15 years or so in the, in the shales here in the United States. So in every cycle of technology introduction, the industry has done great, has brought in amazing results and enabling energy efficiency and abundancy for the world to turn. And I think that that has always been something that attracted me the most to the industry. Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes I think we forget sometimes, certainly, certainly people who aren't really involved as much, you know, we go and we put gas in our car or whatever, we heat our house and we don't always think about the amazing things that have to happen in, in crazy environments. Like you mentioned in the Arctic, you know, the North Sea is no cakewalk and all of these crazy places where, and, and, it, you know, they talk about that when you look at the history of the industry about how it's always been a place where, you know, you had to have incredibly in creative ideas and you're in these dangerous situations and you're doing stuff that, you know, nobody probably ever thought you'd be able to do. But here we are and we're doing it. I'm curious, you know, so, and I've also mentioned before how, you know, we have, even in more recent times, you know, we've oil and gas companies have been using computers and what is essentially digital technology, although we didn't always call it that, for quite a while to do pretty impressive things. I mean, if you even, you know, you go back in the 60s and 70s, there was some impressive stuff. But what do you see? Like what's kind of different or distinctive about this kind of most recent, you talked about cycles, this most recent cycle of innovation with regard to computing, which we call digital now. What do you see that's kind of different or distinctive about this versus what we've, what we've done in the past? 
You know, every technology cycle, there are several components that have to come together. There's a sort of convergence of critical technologies that enables transformation. And that's the word I would describe it today with cloud computing and advanced analytics and machine learning and AI and collaboration enablers like Internet, you know, what we're leveraging at the moment. I really have been able to sort of accelerate this technology transformation, digital transformation. But there's also components has to be kept in mind. You know, clearly there's a technical factor. There's, you know, the complexity of the offering and, and truly understanding of those offerings and how to leverage them. There's also a human factor, which is, you know, the ability to change, the change management component and looking ahead and seeing, how, you know, how does it change folks' workflow, their behaviors and so forth and so on, which really takes, you know, some, some understanding. And there's a business factor. And the business factor is the fact that our decision-making process in the industry has been very fast. We've been a very fast-moving decisions, particularly when we talk about developing the unconventionals, operationals, and fast of, of pace of execution. And the high volatility, recent volatility in the industry has caused some significant challenges. So I believe that the industry is a point of inflection where it can actually leverage digital transformation. And this can be part of the solution. So the question is, you know, is not if, but is when and how, and how it impacts, you know, how fast can you do it to impact your sure. business and support sure. that? Yeah, I think, and we've mentioned this before in some other conversations where, you know, I think that what you just said is why, even in the face of the current economic pressures, companies aren't, a lot of operators are not, they're not putting a stop to their spend, to their efforts on these new digital ways of transforming the business, which is a little bit in contrast to what happened just a few years ago in 2014 and 2015 when when all of that you know when the when when that happened in the market and everybody just sort of stopped everything they were doing and kind of went back to their sort of usual trusted ways of tightening the belts and kind of pulling the levers to make the business more efficient what I would call maybe the more mechanical ways of doing that. And that got them through that period where it was like, okay, well now we can at least break even, but breaking even, you know, eventually wasn't good enough for the investor community. And so they had to start looking at, okay, how do we use some of these new things? Like you mentioned the analytics and, and the things that you can do with data now that you can do before. And, and we need to look at how we kind of reimagine certain parts of the business using that. And I think, so my perception is that even in, even in spite of the current pressures that they have, people are still pushing forward with these initiatives. They're not doing what they did five or six years ago, whatever it was, where they just kind of stopped everything and, and went back to what they knew. Is, is that what you're seeing as you're out there talking with customers? Absolutely. And folks are trying to figure out how to leverage digital transformation. Everyone has in the context of optimizing their business, but at the same time, becoming the more conscious and more effective on, on executing you know, their projects. Right. So, you know, and the interesting thing is that, as you mentioned in your book, you know, there's technologies which have been developed in other industries that can be leveraged in oil and gas and, you know, particularly leveraging critical data and using some of these more advanced algorithms to actually leverage that data into a decision support system. And I think that 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 is where the industry is going, where the big opportunity in the industry really is, is to being able to, in a single platform, being able to use and leverage all this data and information in order to support your decision-making process. And I think that, that that is the major trend that we see in the industry. And so you're kind of getting to the to the mission that, that you have there with data creation. But I think that, I mean, of course, People in the industry have always had to make difficult decisions, and there's always been, you know, people who are maybe you could say 
everybody made good decisions and everybody made bad decisions, but the risk tolerance is much lower, right? Now the stakes are higher and you have to be able to make these decisions without, you got to flush the risk out and know more about, you know, the outcomes of the possible decisions that you're making. So we can do that now with, so there's all this data out there. And a lot of the data that you mentioned is not like new data, right? A lot of it has been getting generated for a long time, but you mentioned being able to use it all kind of in one place as one decision support system. But I want to, so I want to get to that, but I want to back up for just a minute because we talked about, you mentioned companies pressing forward with these initiatives for digital transformation, but we also know like you can, like you can pick up, you know, various articles, you know, especially from some of the big consulting firms, McKinsey or Deloitte, and you find that there's still not, people are are still struggling and not succeeding a whole lot. There's some success, but people, a lot of these initiatives are kind of hitting a wall. So you've been around for a long time. What do you what do you see? What's holding people back from being able to just? I mean, this is an industry that's built on engineers, right? Engineers and scientists. If anybody ought to be able to pick up digital transformation and just run with it, we should be able to do that. But it's difficult. What's getting in the way? I suggest what's getting in the way is really truly understanding. You know, there's you know a variety of different offerings out there, but it takes a while. You know, some of these offerings it have to be a practical sort of implementation that adds value to the business in a measurable way in a very short order. You know, we don't have a lot of time to get into long cycle of technology investments and testing and so forth. It has to be practical as to change the way that, you know, and enhance the way that folks interact with data and information. And I think you're right. I think that, you know, in fact, I think the current pandemic has accelerated the need for these type of, of transformations and the reduction in, in, uh, in the resources that have taken place over the last couple of years. And in fact, they accelerated this last year. There'll be fewer people to do more. And in fact, what I would suggest is that the fewer folks are going to have to reinvent themselves and adapt some of these technology innovations. So, you know, my take on this is it has to be something that is practical, that adds value to the business. And it has to do this in a matter of a couple of months instead of long, drawn out digital transformation projects that could take years. And particularly important is to f- stay focused on what matters to each customer's business. Yeah, that's absolutely right. People are having a high grade and really prioritize those initiatives. So you're with this company, Datagration. I think it had a different name before. Was that right? That's correct. The original company was founded in Austria and it was Mercom. And when they registered the business here, it was Allsphere in, in the United States. Allsphere, right, right. Yeah, and then we've rebranded it as Datagration after our investor came in this last gotcha. summer. Gotcha, gotcha, right, right. Okay, so you've been at a bunch of, we rattled off all the big companies that you've been with, and you're CEO of Datagration. You've had executive roles with many of these other big players that have you know changed industry in the last couple of decades. What drew you to this company? Why did you, I mean, you know, you could have just been out playing golf or whatever, <laughs> whatever the thing is, right? What made you jump in with this small company and want to take them forward? No, absolutely. And after my last venture at Sigma Cube, I've been working with investors evaluating the next big thing and trying to find the next big thing, the, you know, the killer app, if you would, for the industry that would make a difference. And after evaluating some 20 startups at various different levels of maturity, a group of well-known investors came to me and pointed out to this company that had developed the Petrovisor platform in Mercom out of, out of Austria. And after, you know, some fairly detailed due diligence, quick due diligence, you know, it became evident that this application is very, very unique and special. And in fact, we started, you know, the capital raising campaign, which I was invited to participate in. And in between the A round and the B round, which just a matter of weeks, we had found sufficient capital to launch the business. 
and some of the shareholders asked me to get the company launched as their as their CEO. So you know we're very it's very lucky for that because there are several ingredients which makes it makes a company successful. And I think that we've got all of them. And I would describe them as being, you know, one is proven technology that really addresses an underserved part of the market that's relevant over multiple cycles. And that, you know, really it helps customers technical and business success. And I think we've got that in the PetroVisor platform. You know, great people also make a huge difference. And we've been able to assemble an amazing team to, you know, add on to the team that already existed in Austria. And we stood up the company here in Houston with you know, well-known individuals with tremendous amount of track record and what they've been able to accomplish in their career. And now we can we can service customers in all time zones between the European office and our office here in Houston. And then finally, an, an amazing investor, which you know, really saw the opportunity, someone that understands the opportunity and that can open doors for the company. We, you know, we've assembled a board of directors uh, for the company that is unmatched. So we're really, really pleased with the progress we've made so far with integration. That's exactly how you're supposed to do it, right? Those are all the right parts and pieces. Back up to the beginning, you said one of the things that you believed in looking at the company was the product, the software. Obviously, you have to have the right product. Petrovisor, right, is the name of it. So what is Petrovisor exactly? What does that, if I was out there and my boss said, good news, we just bought Petrovisor, what, what could I expect would be happening in my world? No, absolutely. You know, it's going to help you support your decisions. It's going to integrate all the critical data which to in the workflow in order for you to make a decision. And it is a SaaS software as a service type of platform. It enables the adoption of complex suites of workflows, allowing engineers and executives to harness the value of data their existing data and, it, you know, from dispersed type of data sources, either being engineering data or geoscience data, production data, regardless of format, you know, SQL, SCADA, you know, Excel, PDF, historians, etc. It can integrate the dynamic and static data and manage, help manage large complex oil fields uh, remotely. So, you know, utilizing artificial intelligence, machine learning can automate workflows in, in real time. It can also be delivered either on cloud or on-prem type of environment or even hybrid associated with that. And one thing, though, is that the platform, the Petrovisor platform, is integrated into teams. So it allows you know, to break into the silos and multiple team members to interact with data and at the same time with one source of truth. So the Petrovisor platform is unique in that sense because it's open and scalable and agnostic, you know, totally flexible, and a user has the ability to be able to change workflows as on a need basis in order to support their decision making. So, okay, so that's good. everything you just described it sounds like the utopian scenario that everybody's been chasing for a long time. So, let's break that down a little bit and kind of go back to the first part, which is so data is at the center of the digital transformation discussion in this industry, probably in other industries too. I'm not paying attention to those as much, but I know that we're all talking about, about being able to use data in better and different and more ways. But we also know in this industry that the data universe is incredibly complicated. It's massive. It's got, you mentioned different formats, different things coming from, you know, different data being produced by different disciplines, by different systems. So one of the things that's been so difficult for people, you know, is how to kind of throw a rope around all that and make it all work together. I mean, that's the wall that people have been banging their heads against for a lot longer than we've been talking about digital transformation. So like, what's the magic wand? Like, how were you able, because you had this really simple sentence. So it was like, oh, we put it all together and make it usable. But like, how did you, how did you manage to do this thing that everybody's been trying to do for so long? No, absolutely. You know, 
and it's not all data. You know, it's the most, and the key word here is critical data and uh, it's okay. defined. So each user that defines a workflow has specific type of data sets and outputs from various different other analytical tools that they would like to use. And the industry today, you know, has a thought of, of data which is delivered from multiple different systems. But it has, you know, we did not count it with a tool like Petrovisor that's able to leverage all of that data, the outputs of that data into a higher level workflow that then enables, you know, the analytics to take place. And how is, how is that done? That's basically done through a proprietary and proven semantic layer that unifies data from internal silos and external sources to create network of knowledge. So what basically what it does is extract the critical data. You can assemble it in a specific workflow, and it's all user-driven. And the specific outcome of that is the product which supports a decision that you would like to do. Which, by the way, along the way, you can use machine learning and, and artificial intelligence to automate certain processes sure. that are well-known to the desired outcome and decision you want to make. Sure, because, I mean, once you've solved the data, kind of the problem with the data being congruent and, you know, the right data that's accurate and properly correlated, then doing this machine learning stuff, right, becomes much, much simpler because his data scientists spend a lot of their time just like fixing up the data. So if you've done that already, then I can imagine that it's very easy to apply those, those automation algorithms to the data to get the results that you want. Is that, is that kind of how you're approaching it? Absolutely. And it allows the data scientist or the engineer to spend time in value add type of analysis rather than just always configuring data, running, you know, some manual processes or creating some very complex systems put together from various different systems, Petrovisor can replace all of that. And now you have the ability to be able to spend time, quality time on, on making better decisions, which will have a financial impact. So the ability to be able to integrate the technical world with the financial world and being able to make the best decisions for the company is the type of Petrovisor enables that kind of decision-making process. Yeah. I mean, that is huge. That connection back to the financial world is huge, especially right now. And it is not something that was always very easy to do. But at the same time, you know, you mentioned earlier, we talked about needing to do things quickly and getting a pretty fast result, getting a quick ROI. Integrating different types of data is not usually something that we think about as something that you can that you can do fast. It's like this long, arduous process. So I guess since you said you you stick with the practical approach, then you can get in there pretty quickly and put all this together for somebody. I'm guessing is that right? Absolutely. In fact, you know we've been able to launch projects where we can actually measure a specific return on investment in about four to eight weeks. These are not, you know, in, in earlier in our conversation, I mentioned about the being practical about the implementations. And it has to be something that adds value in today's market. You know, we can't afford something that takes six or a year to see return. Right. So right. in four to six weeks, you know, we can go in and, and actually adapt the workflow, tap into all the critical databases working very closely together. And we can do this remotely. We don't, you know, it's a no-touch type of environment and we can work closely with the engineers and the data scientists to tap into the relevant data and then offer this in a interface which looks like a dashboard and the dashboard is tailored to each specific engineer or their needs specific needs and type of decisions that they're wanting, that they need to make yeah it does still sound a little bit like magic but but at the same time when you think about it like we should be able to do this, right? With all the capabilities that we have, we should be able, this is how it should work, I think. And it's, but it takes somebody who has, I think from that little bit from, from Groundbreakers that I read before, every everything starts with somebody who's got an inventive mind. Somebody has to create it and then we can put those 
capabilities to work. So that sounds fantastic. You also mentioned something about doing things remotely and stuff. I mean, oil and gas has always sort of had to deal with the people needing to collaborate across distances, but it's intensified now. So in this whole aspect of pulling together the data, creating this decision support layer, how does this new world of everybody working remotely, does that get in the way? How does that play into the whole the whole strategy? No, absolutely. And, and in fact, you know, a lot of this has been developed over the last 10 years, right? So Petrovisor started its developing, working very closely with customers in Europe, Eastern Europe, Middle East, etc. around the world. So, you know, it's not something that was just created out of the garage, but so it was developed over multiple sort of different projects, environments, unconventional, and now we have capabilities in unconventional. But, you know, to your point, you know, collaboration and breaking down silos is particularly important and the platform enables that. Also, you know, the team that was developing this in Austria had the vision and the original architect had the vision to actually begin to integrate the technology into Microsoft Teams. So mm-hmm. the technology today, the Petrovisor platform can be launched on Teams, establish a collaboration network of the various different individuals which are part of the workflow. And each individual will have access to what the type of information and decision-making support they need, either being the executive or being the engineer, asset manager, or a field engineer. And it can actually collaborate, send messages across through Teams and create a common environment for a single point of truth, which is particularly important as well. Because a lot of systems today, if you look at it, they could be different and the executives may be looking at something different that the engineers are looking at. And this is a common platform that can actually enable to do that using Microsoft Teams. Yeah, that, that part is brilliant. And I actually didn't realize that part from when we were when we were chatting about this earlier, but I'm a fan of Teams and how you can back it up to other data sources and SharePoint and OneDrive and right and you can and you can have like team you can actually do stuff together in this environment. So bringing Petrovisor into that environment is brilliant. Do you see where does that give you the ability to also perhaps maybe then integrate and interact with other solutions that people are bringing kind of is is Teams a place where these things are going to come come together now in a common sort of delivery channel to the users? Absolutely. It will come to the delivery channel to the users. The integration will take place in Petrovisor at the level. It's it's an open bi-directional API to have access to data. So we can bring best of class data outputs from various different systems. So the innovation ecosystem will continue to support Petrovisor as new technologies, you know, either being IoT technologies or different outputs from various different types of simulations or of the likes. We can integrate all of those results into the platform for decision-making support, the decision-making process. So it's an open bi-directional API. Folks can, can connect to it. We can connect and create those bridges and integrate that as part of the workflow and then finally collaborate using the Teams platform. Yeah, that's and then I would imagine you could take, if a company is using Teams for a variety of other purposes, then if the stuff that they're getting from Petrovisor is showing up, let's say, in a Teams you know, within a team in Teams, and they can now see that alongside of other things, right? And and you're not, because when you get, when you talk about decision support, you have to get the conclusion, right? The information that you need to make that decision. And now you have to do something with it, right? It, like you have to now turn that into some sort of instructions, either for a person somewhere to do something or for a device to do or whatever it is. But if Teams is kind of like your mission control for all of those interactions, then, you know, it kind of brings it all together in one place. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about these very 
like shiny, glossy, cool sounding things. But do you see people actually like doing this when you're out there working with customers? Is this, is this becoming a reality to work in this fashion? Absolutely. And, you know, so the display canvas that the customer wants to use, you know, how, how do they want to interact with the data? And there's all sorts of different options. And we're agnostic as far as that's concerned. You know, it can be on Teams or or any other type of platform that they would like to see that their data or their dashboard. So Teams is widely adopted. We use it every day, day in and day out for our development right. and the Petrovisor platform. But as well as, you know, different, there are different needs for customers. So, you know, we use Teams, but we're also agnostic to, in some cases, some customers sure. may have other, other type. And, and that's what the beauty of the platform is the openness and the agnostic component of it, you know, it allows the users to adopt it as their need. So you're using open standards and things and you can, so you can say, okay, I can, I can decouple it from this particular piece and plug it into something else. And absolutely. absolutely. And there's a variety of products out there. So we want to, you know, we want to be the, to provide the glue around the ecosystem in order for them to leverage the capability of Petrovisor and do this in a very practical, pragmatic way that makes a difference to our customer's business within a very short order. I mean, that's how it, sh- that's how it should work. We certainly have had the, Within the software development world, we've had these capabilities for, for a long time, but it takes people to actually like put them to use in the proper way to be able to get those kinds of those kinds of advantages. So that's encouraging to see that this is all coming together. Let's like shift gears just for a second because you mentioned before we talked just briefly about machine learning and AI. Those are very much in the forefront. But there's a lot of, you know, there's still people who are concerned about that, or maybe we would call the the skeptics. You've worked around people, the scientists and the engineers, right, in the industry for a long time. And you know how people are like, you know, no machine can ever replace the intuition of a, of a 35-year veteran who just knows how to look at something, and right? What do you see happening there in terms of the benefits from machine learning and AI and how that sort of comes up against this kind of very, very strong like pride and the capability in the industry of the people, you know, and this goes all the way back to, to the beginning when, you know, people would look at a hill and go, I think there's oil inside that hill, right? So that that's in our heritage. So how do those things come together and uh, kind of for a happy future? No, absolutely. And it should be enabler. And machine learning and AI enables efficiency, right? So, you know, allows the users to perform recurring tasks, you know, with a specific desired outcome. You know, it's, it's a sort of a, you know, it look at it this way. It augments the capability of the engineer in order to be able to do a bunch of calculations that in the, in the past may have done by hand or using various different systems. Sure. And uh, sure. now, you know, you can, you can do that and you can run those recurring calculations, establish those those very specific outcomes in an, in an open box. So we're particularly, you know, critical about that because, you know, black boxes don't tend to do well in this industry. You know, the engineers want to know how the calculations are done. And Petrovisor has a specific ability to be able to go in the code and actually change that as necessary by changing the scripts. So we have our own script, which we call P-Sharp, but we also adopt other industry scripts where the engineer can go in the software, into the workflow, and actually change the workflow and, and apply certain algorithms as they believe that they would like to have or they see it as a competitive advantage. Everybody wants to use their competitive advantage in their decision-making process. Sure, right. And, right, and no. the enterprise platforms enables to do that by their own sort of change, by adapting their scripts or in implementing machine learning on a as-need basis, right? So it's workflow-driven and, you know, and to perform certain tasks. And data-driven. So that's the basis of the machine learning philosophy. 
So there's a, so there was an interesting thing you said in there. You said it's a you know open box versus black box. That's I think that's a key differentiation because because that's the concern, right? Is is you, you do something as black box. Number one, there's skepticism about whether you're, you're really getting you, you know you're missing out on the human intuition about things. And the second thing is what you said about competitive advantage. I mean, that is important. And we need to really understand what what is our competitive advantage and what is not our competitive advantage. So the ability to automate a time-consuming, laborious set of, you know, calculations or workflow or workflow is not really the competitive advantage. It's what you plug into that that is what you, where your advantage comes from. Absolutely, and you know, it is incorporating you know data-driven analytics uh, to support physics modeling with business logic. So you know, what is the business outcome that you're, you're really looking for? What levels of automation do you want to have in the workflow process in order to optimize that decision? And as you get into into this path, then you begin to automate things and leverage the full breadth of the platform. We have multiple examples of that. Right. So are you able to do things, let's say, for example, I know this is something that's been, people have wanted to do in the industry for a long time, where you say, in order to make this decision, I want to understand a bunch of different possible outcomes. And then I want to pick the one that's the best for my business. And in the past, we couldn't do that because it just was too, it took too long just to work through one set of the scenario. And this is where digital twins are starting to become popular and things like that. Are you able to get into that sort of a thing to help people not just, you know, to kind of make a multifaceted decision like that? No, absolutely. Let me, you know, one of our flagship customers has over 20 oil fields. And they're evaluating over 20,000 wells. And there's two engineers on a daily basis that are looking at that. They're drawing data from about 24 uh, different databases. And they're running machine learning and AI algorithms to evaluate over 200,000 workover candidates on a monthly basis. And with that level of technology, they've been able to bring significant amount of improvements in their workflow. And the, the past, we had they had multiple individuals doing this big team. And now with two individuals that can do this, and they improved the capital efficiency by 77% over the period and, and now over 100%. What it basically means is that with half of the oil price that they have today, they can operate in a profitable manner. So let's just, so I want to really review those numbers because those were impressive numbers. So you got two people monitoring 20,000 wells and evaluating 200,000 workover candidates. Is that is that what you just said? Absolutely. And they, and they could do this day and every day. So they turn in their Petrovisor platform. It gives them the very specific, what is a trade-off? They, they know where to go spend the next dollar and how to intervene, automatically intervene all of these wells and workover candidates and set up alerts and so forth and so on for folks to do that. So it's a complete dashboard management system that they've been installed. So this is the kind of stuff that, you know, we talk all the time about how the industry needs to just, you know, the consulting firms use fancy words like new operating models. And then other people talk about reimagining workflows. The point is, is that the industry needs to figure out how to work in completely different ways. So this is this kind of flexibility and agility in the business and flushing out the risk and, and being able to make better decisions and harness the data. I mean, this kind of all plays into that, how we need to become what we are in the future. Is that, I mean, do you agree? Absolutely agree. In fact, the platform can be extensible to those segments of the business. So you can make you know, real business decisions for, in reference to understanding what the environmental impact is. You know, in the ESG world, for example, you know, how to, how to manage your flares you know, how to truly understand, uh, you know, the intrusions of different gases that takes place within the, doing this in a proactive manner in a way to better understand uh, what the impact on the environment is. 
So, you know, there's a lot of different type of applications that the platform can extend on. So, you know, if we go back to the original conversation, which was, you know, what is the practical implementation of this so you become successful? It has to be something that gets you started and, you know, adding some value in a short order and then expanding from that point on so you can then adopt some of these concepts and, and accelerating your transition. It's exciting. It's great to see, you know, for so long, so many of the really cool software solutions in the industry, they did amazing things, each one on their own, but they all sort of worked in their own little space. And you had to use this for this and that for that. And, and you know, and you could try to integrate them and bring them together, but it was a lot of work. I'm coming back to the original, how we kind of started off this discussion, which was what do you see, how, you know, what were your observations about technology and oil and gas over the last, you know, 15, 20, 25 years? I feel like if you kind of look at your crystal ball and say, what does it look like going forward? I think it looks good. I mean, what do you think? Absolutely. I'm so excited about being here. I mean, I've been part of technology innovation and software development over the last 30 years plus of my career. I mean, I've never been in an, in, in an environment as exciting as it is today. I mean, it, it really, you know, the industry is really needs the type of technologies that we're discussing here and they're taking it to the next level. And I think that we're really excited about having the platform to do that. And it's not just about me. It's the entire team at uh, the integration, the Petrovisor architects and, and the developers that are behind all of this, innovating day in and day out. And, and we, you know, we're a small team with great aspiration and really looking forward to make a difference in the industry. It sounds like they're doing some fantastic stuff. So congrats on that. Congrats on your funding and all of the kind of standing up the business success that you talked about earlier. A lot, You know, there's a lot of great ideas out there that don't really get the momentum because they don't get that part, right? And so you guys, it sounds like you're on the right path. I think we're kind of at that point where if we keep talking, people might change the channel and, and put on a different program. So so we'll wind it down. But if somebody wants to find out more about you, about what Datagration is doing, you know, we'll put it all in the show notes. We'll put your website. I assume they can find you on, on LinkedIn. How do people find out more about what you're doing? No, absolutely. I mean, that, uh, we're definitely very active on LinkedIn. You know, we're, we regularly publish relevant blogs and podcasts and technical and business publications. And let's leverage that because we're trying to communicate on a worldwide basis. It's a broad industry and multicultural. So leverage the technology in order to achieve that. Right. No, I agree. That's important. So you're available. You're out there. Jorge, thanks again. I really appreciate you. I know you got a lot going on, so I appreciate you making time for us to have this chat. Thank you very much. A pleasure and privilege to be here with you guys. Thank you, Michael. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm just going to wrap up with a couple of other comments here. As always, I got to thank our sponsor, Cognite, who they're also working hard in the data business for oil and gas, a little bit different focus on industrial data and making that more contextual and intuitive and usable by people and applications and all the way around. So if you're not familiar with Cognite, check them out. They're doing some great stuff. Cognite.as is their website. Also, as always, I got to thank our producer, Savannah Wilson, for actually causing these podcasts to go from this process right here where we're doing the recording to where you actually get to hear it. There's a whole lot of work that goes into making that happen. And she does it for the all of OGGN, all 13 something or whatever. I, I've lost track now of how many podcasts. She does it for the whole thing. And the other man behind the scenes, Mr. Emin Fikic, who is our audio editor, he makes us sound great. And he takes out he takes out all the parts you're not supposed to hear, which is probably the most important thing. And he does it for all the podcasts as well. So thanks to them. Also, I want to mention our street team, which is being led by the valiant and noble Warren Spiewak out there leading the street team. They're not actually on the real streets right now. They're doing, like Jorge mentioned before, we're using these virtual means to try to do things. But if you want to get involved with the street team, it's a great way to just do something 
outside of your regular nine to five or seven to seven, as it might be with Zoom calls these days. But you can get involved in the industry, get involved with OGGN. And I think you get a cool hat or something like that to wear. So check that out. There's a LinkedIn group. If you just look up OGGN on LinkedIn, you'll find the street team. You'll find other ways to connect with OGGN. There's a bunch of stuff. Just go out there and look. You can't possibly, can't possibly miss us. And the final thought, which I've been saying now for a little while, we talked about earlier in this program, which is we've been doing technology in oil and gas for a long time, all the way back to the beginning. So when you hear people say oil and gas is kind of late to the party with all this digital stuff, just give them that little history lesson and explain how we were tech before tech was cool. And here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SPE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. (laughs) 